You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. It's Tuesday, April the 25th, and a lovely spring-like, almost, morning here in TW11. We take you around the racing world today. We take you to England, Ireland, France. We take you to New Zealand. We take you to the United States via Japan. And we also recognise that today in Australia, racing is in a state of mourning for the loss of jockey Dean Holland, about whom Jason Richardson spoke so movingly yesterday and again this morning on Racing.com when it was announced that today's St Ledger meeting at Flemington would be postponed as a mark of respect. Whilst we are keeping our eyes closely on all the international delights to come, as I said, New Zealand, Japan, America, we're also still focusing very much on what's happening here over jumps, particularly at Punchestown this week, this last great jumps festival of the season. Yesterday, Jane Mangan and I spoke about a a Willie Mullins domination. Uh, In a few moments' time, Lydia Hislop and I will be considering some of the surprise results that might take place this week. Lydia in situ in Punchestown just after we uploaded yesterday news did come through that Brave Man's Game got the go-ahead to run in Punchestown a lot of work being done behind the scenes Brian Drew is now the sole owner of the horse and I've been speaking to Brave Man's Game's trainer Paul Nichols and this is what he had to say yeah yeah he went over last night he's there um Travelled over nicely. It's the first time we've ever sent him overnight, so it's a bit of an experiment this week that we'll find out about because he can be a little buzzy when he's away. So it's the first time he's done that. He's got Chantu Flowers kept in company, so he's got some company. Scott just said he's arrived there safely, and um, you know everything's all, all, all good. So you know we're, we're hopeful. How, how did you get it sorted in the end? Well, I think Brian Drew's been working very hard behind the scenes. I don't know the technicalities, but in, he in effect has agreed a price for the half share of the and and came up with a, an agreement with. Um, whoever was involved and and they agreed to Brian bought the other half out so Brian now totally owns the horse himself I mean to what extent is that a big relief because being left in limbo presumably meant all sorts of financial uncertainties well it could have done and you know if it hadn't been resolved now what where would it end up we could have ended up always having to go to the sales or whatever in a period of time it could have gone on and on and on I think if John had owned it outright we wouldn't be where we are but because Brian Drew was involved and owned a half was able to get resolved and I think common sense was seen in the end and so it got sorted so I uh, you know I you know obviously appreciate all the hard work Brian's done to get it sorted and the BHA to be fair to them have been 100% behind this and done a lot of good work as well so you know the people that they've all worked hard to get this result and it's good okay onwards then um how do you feel about the race itself how do you feel about the likelihood of him getting closer to Galapin des Champs on a different track albeit in Galapin des Champs backyard it is, it is in his backyard, yeah, but we've always done well in this race. Uh, one or two years ago with Clan, who, who, who obviously appreciated that track more so than Cheltenham. And I think the same with Brave Man's Game. It's, it's a bit less far. It's a right-handed track. It's not unlike Kempton, which suits Brave Man's Game. So I think it's a, it's a different sort of scenario in a lot of ways. Obviously, Gallup and Champ is very, very smart. But if you, you know, Ruby was just going through the race, I think, with Lydia yesterday. And you can just see from halfway up the run in at Cheltenham, we'd probably just run out of stamina a fraction 
you know, against Galapagos, but up until that point, it run very, very well. This is going to be a different track. Different race is only going to be five or six runners. I can't see the pace angle really in it. It's not going to be going as quick as they did in the in the Gold Cup. So I think it'll be a completely different race. Now, can I talk about this this Hunter Chase? Because you wanted to run Shantou Flyer in the in the Hunter Chase, and you can't. Bradley Gibbs wanted to run Premier Magic. He got the horse there, and he's now been told he can't because neither Shantou Flyer nor Premier Magic were officially uh, under the under the uh, stewardship of licensed trainers. What have you made of all this? Well, obviously, I was bitterly disappointed because Sam Longston's done a great job with uh, Shantou Flyer. Obviously, he'd won this race before him in Rose and. I think only 2021 they had a runner there and Kay de Valet had won. So we entered Shantou yesterday uh, because he was going over to keep Braveman's Game Company and then got told uh, it wasn't eligible because uh, Sam, in effect, wasn't a licensed trainer. Um, So in effect, it was keeping all people out of the race unless they were a licensed trainer. Well, I could have probably resolved it if I'd known this a week ago and switched Shantou into my name, but I didn't. Um, and it's not a big deal for me, except the whole thing wrong. But you imagine those people like Bradley Gibbs who've been over there 10 days to run the horse in the race and were told yesterday they couldn't. It's just wrong. And it's just, you know, in effect, a hunter chase like that should be for the people in, you know, the, the hunter chase point-to-point guys in this country have been their dream to have a run at Punches Day and, and, and then couldn't because they're not a licensed trainer. And it just seems wrong. What what I can't quite understand is is the rules have been changed well, they must have been changed within the last two years because Cade de Belay was allowed to run in 2021 under Sam Loxon's name, but you, you're under a bit of a different understanding. I, I don't know when the um, the rules were changed, and I, I was certainly one on the small print, and obviously nobody else seems to know it. I mean, Bradley Gibson was told 10 days ago it was okay to run, so I don't know what the difference is in the last 10 days. Anyway, it, it, it does seem harsh that those 100 chase people can't support the Irish champion hunter chases, you know, obviously Charnham and everybody go out the way to get as many of the Irish horses as they can to run over here. And it obviously doesn't apply the other way around. So it just seems such a shame. It does seem a shame. Um, just looking to Sandown at the weekend, you've got a bunch of runners in this Bet365 Gold Cup. Frodon, Secret Investor in Rilo. I think I'm probably missing a couple as well. Um, you've got a load of runners on, on Saturday. How how close are you going to get to breaking your your the record? You Do, do you want to get to four million prize money? No, no. I mean, I think we need, I think, 84,000 to just have a, overtake the record all the prize money before in 2008. I can't say it's getting the 400,000, but, you know, I'd like to think with the horses we've got to run this weekend on the weekend, we can, you know, get that get that prize money and just end up with, the, you know, as it were, a record all the prize money for us. All righty. And who's going who's gonna to win the Bet365 Gold Cup? I wouldn't be surprised if Frodo ran well. You know, he, he's good in handicaps. Um, I've kept him fresh. Decent ground would suit him. And if Hewitt was reverted to this race rather than go to Ireland, because I think the thinking the ground might be too soft for him out there, that would help him because he'd only have 11 stone six rather than 12 stone. I think he's got a massive chance. OK, that was Paul Nichols. This is Lydia Hislop, safely ensconced like Brave Man's Game in Punchestown. Who will emerge from Punchestown, the superior, Lydia or Brave Man's Game? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm hoping I'm slightly less buzzy, uh, potentially, than, than Brave Man's Game. Now, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, uh, the, the point that Paul made about 
him not having been away overnight that he can be a little bit buzzy. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes through that. He is playing a horse in his own backyard. I do think the fact that it's a shorter trip brings them closer together because it was at that point from the last to the line that Bra- that Galopin de Champ extended so much um, authority over Brave Man's game, seven lengths. That said... You know, Galloping Deshaun was coming from a little bit further back, not an ideal position, felt Paul Townend in the early stages, and he certainly doesn't lack for pace. It's going to be a great race. I mean, we obviously went heavy on on the Mullins domination yesterday. We don't need to go on about that again. But I would just ask you, Lydia, because you'll have looked at this in some depth, who is the most likely to be unsettled by a blue-on-blue attack this week? Which of the Mullins hotpots going to get undone by one of his own stable companions or her own stable companions, a la the Dublin Racing Festival, where it happened about four times. I wonder whether it's today, but in the champion novice chase over three miles. So there's Gerhard and there's Appreciate It, neither of whom I, I feel look particularly strong. It's a race in which there are several horses who actually may not stay three miles, including possibly Journey With Me, and I'm wondering whether it's classic getaway is your answer. Stepping up to a trip that's really going to suit him, coming in fresh. Uh, he beat Journey With Me when they met in Gora. Now, of course, Journey With Me didn't, hadn't quite made the grade at that point. It was his debut of offences. He didn't really take to it immediately. He was much better later on in the season. But classic getaway, I think, is interesting there. And even, you know, I wouldn't completely dismiss James de Burley in that race. Ruby Walsh again was saying, having seen Sir Gerhard appreciated and James de Burley around, they all ran against each other in Fairy House. Um, Sir Gerhard looked very, very threatening, but in the end, it was Flame Bearer from the same stable who who won. He seemed to be suggesting that James de Burley of those that trio has come out of the race freshest. What do we make of this? point-to-point trainers not being allowed to run in the hunter's chase situation? I think it's a bit of a mess. What does the public want to see? They want to see uh, international competition. They want to see the best horses and trainers and riders from whatever division we're talking about taking on each other. And I don't think there should be unnecessary red tape. Obviously, that has to be balanced against against proper integrity, and I, I understand that. But it doesn't seem to have been clear what has changed because, you know, Cade de Burley could run here in 2021 uh, for Sam Loxton, and that was fine. And now just two seasons on under the same circumstances, and we've got two examples of it, one in um, Chantu Flyer and the other uh, for, for Bradley uh, Gibbs's horse as well, Premier Magic. There's no clarity as far as I can see about what has changed, and that really isn't good enough. All right, Lydia, there's a... There's a, a a little bit of this that adds to the mystery, which is that the racing calendar uh, for the race at Punchestown, the Irish Daily Star Champion Hunter Steeplechase, reads still as follows. Now, this is the 2023 edition okay, of this race. It says, in the case of horses from Great Britain, Hunters, brackets, Master of Hounds certificates, must have been duly registered at the racing calendar office, Wellingborough. Now, that's normal for any horse who runs in a hunter chase. They have to have a hunter certificate. The stewards of the INHS committee, the Irish National Hunt Steeplechase Committee, I'm not even sure whether that exists anymore, but anyway, whatever, have modified the rules to permit horses for which Master of Hound certificates have been registered with the with the Jockey Club. Well, that doesn't exist in this realm anymore. The Jockey Club <laughs> hasn't been a regulator since 2007. Six. <laughs> Seven. Five, I don't know. 
uh, and which are eligible to run in Hunter steeplechases in Great Britain to run in this race. So just read that again. The stewards have modified the rules to permit horses for which Master of Hounds certificates have been registered with whichever authority it is and are eligible to run in Hunter steeplechase in Great Britain to run in this race. That sentence implies that if you're eligible to run in Hunter chase in Britain, you're eligible to run in this race. This is a right mess. In this case, it's going to be really unfair to individuals. And we're, we're not talking about individuals with large amount of resource either. We're talking about individuals who are... Um, you know, running their successful, I mean, let's take, take Bradley Gibbs, very successful operations, but he's not awash with money, is he? And he will, you know, he. this is a dream. He's a, a sta- He's realised a dream at, at Cheltenham. He wants to come over to Punchestan and this is going to be crushed by extremely poor administration, extremely poor um, communications. And that just doesn't seem right to me. I think this is it, isn't it? Is that, the IHRB and under their new um, direction are trying to be quite rightly um, yeah, adherent to, to their own rules and to, to make sure that they're safeguarding the integrity of the sport. But, but underneath that, there is clearly an administrative system uh, that is not that is not working properly. And th- th- this has not permeated through where it needs to permeate. That's right. I mean, it, it's essentially it's it's putting the philosophy ahead of the practicalities. If you're going to realise a philosophy, you're going to have to ensure that the practicalities are up to the same standard. And this appears not to be the case. And it's having a uh, a very uh, negative, deleterious effect on uh, uh, small scale operations. And and you know that doesn't seem to that doesn't sit well with me. Interestingly, talking about rules in Ireland, Lydia, have you heard anything about whip rules in Ireland? Uh, I I haven't, but are you thinking that Ireland, looking at what's happened in Britain, looking at what's happened in France and, and in Germany, might be thinking that they're a bit of an outlier on a European front? Because if that's what you're suggesting, it wouldn't surprise me if they're having a look at their rules, even though as recently as July 2022... The Irish, the IHRB, uh, stated that they would not be looking at their rules in light of what Britain had done. Well, here's my hunch, uh, and I, I'd like to think it's a reasonably well-informed hunch. I think the rules will broadly stay the same, but the penalties will start to toughen up significantly in a bid to try and make them less of an outlier. What that's a step towards is anybody's guess, but that's what I think will happen. Right. Okay. Uh, I can see that. So might some people be suggesting that they're taking uh, the more what what some people might argue are the more palatable elements from a a jockey perspective of the new British rules. And and, uh, you know, uh, so increased increased penalties, uh, but not bringing in the sort of um, the more. uh, sorry, I've lost my thread entirely here. Sorry, sorry, Nick. Let me. No, no, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But let me let, let me start again. Go on. Okay. So, from that, I'm taking our island looking at Britain's rules and essentially deciding that they're going to cherry pick. I don't mean that pejoratively. Um, the uh, more palatable, from a participant point of view, um, tightening up of the rules and leave aside those elements that have been more controversial it's like 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 being the younger sibling isn't it you just (laughs) watch the older one make all the mistakes and and just quietly slide through wait for someone to beat the path through the jungle and then you you can just get a nice clear clear sight of it 
Is that said with feeling? Uh, I, I, what, as a younger sibling or as a member of the Whip Review group? <laughs> Either. <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> Right, now would seem a timely moment to remind you that you can still win two places in the Premier Lounge at Sandown Park for the Bet365 Jump Finale on Saturday, this Saturday, the 29th of April. And in addition, you'll get two annual memberships for the rest of the whole of 2023. And you can find out a bit more about the Premier Lounge uh, on the website. It's a great space, wonderful views, great food, three-course meal, private table, and the whole lot, and your car parking as well thrown in. So you can still win those two uh, places completely free and those uh, members' passes for the rest of the season. Just enter the competition. You just need to fill in your details, basically. Thejockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Nick Luck. Simple as that. Jockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Nick Luck. Just fill in your name, into the ballot, and away we go uh, for this Saturday. And I am joined now by the general manager at Sandown Park, Sarah Drabwell, to look ahead to this weekend Sarah one of my favorite meetings you've got the best of the flat the best of the jumps albeit on separate days now but loads to look forward to how's it all shaping up oh Nick just a really really exciting couple of days coming up I mean where do you get to see um a derby winner and Adaya hopefully um and potentially the next the next Oaks winner from our, our Phillies race where you win and you're in and then get to watch the best of the jumpers the following day. Um, really looking forward to seeing John Bond. And we've got some other fantastic horses. We've got Constitution Hill and Shishkin parading after the first race. So if you like racing in any format, we've got it for you going on at Sandown this Friday and this Saturday. We will also, just from a, a charity angle, be supporting Dementia Awareness and Alzheimer's this, this weekend. So on the Friday, we will be welcoming... Anyone who loves their racing but has found racing a little bit difficult to um, to attend because they might be suffering for dementia or their other half is, we're welcoming you in on Friday. Just contact us and we'll make sure that you're looked after. And then on the Saturday, we'll be collecting to make sure we're really supporting um, that charity as well. So loads going on with the racing and there's loads going on around the racing as well. Fantastic. Sarah, obviously, we've had protesters the last two weeks, Aintree and Air. Uh, what preparations are Sandown taking to to ensure that the, the meeting goes off safely? Yeah, I think whenever we plan any any meeting at all, we plan for all, um, all eventualities, you know, fires, fire alarms, whatever. And, and this meeting is no different. I think it's a really interesting situation in a world where technology should should provide us the opportunity to speak more than ever, you're finding more and more people are becoming polarised with their own view. And, and the reality is we all need to work on the conversation. And I think that needs to start by us um, listening and, and making sure that, um, that that we're open to conversation. But you are well prepared. Tickets are still available. Sandown this weekend for the Bet365 finale. The flat racing ad AR returning on Friday. And then the jumping John Bon and Co. Plus a thrilling running of the Bet365 on Saturday. Sarah, thanks so much. No problem. Thanks, Nick. All right. Sarah Drabwell there, the general manager of Sandown Park, um, alive to the prospect of more protests, particularly given this is another high-profile staying chase on ITV for the third consecutive week. So uh, the momentum has been provided almost for for Animal Rising by the way that the calendar is structured, uh, Lydia. And given where most of those protesters uh, emanate from geographically, it's a very easy place for them to get to, easier than entry, uh, easier than air, certainly. Definitely, that's definitely true. 
I, I feel like the, the course perimeter is maybe less porous than certainly than Aintree, which is over a vast area, certainly than Punchestown, ditto, um, and probably compared with air as well. But uh, I mean, one thing that's clearly happened since this is, has, has started going on from a practical perspective is that, that, that security costs, the cost of running a, a race meeting has suddenly gone sharply, sharply up, hasn't it, at a time where... Uh, money is already tight and uh, money into horse racing is something that has been long complained about. So, you know, suddenly it, this has become a lot more expensive and jump re re jump meetings are more expensive to put on in terms of, you know, maintenance and preparation and just putting on than, than flat meetings. So, um, but of course, Animal Rising have said that they're not necessarily merely targeting jump racing. They've got racing in their sites in general. Um, there's uh, a new, there was a, a new post on their website quite recently um, about horse racing, uh, which was a, a series of uh, emotive non sequiturs, really. Um, but I, as I've said, and as you've said, I think both of us agree that this should not become a polarizing row. The idea that, um, you know, the, the, the things that they say that are completely misguided means that everything in horse racing's world is right and cosy, rosy, um, I think is is wrong. And I think we should be uh, restlessly self-critical. The sport of horse racing should be restlessly self-critical in trying to bring about improvements and therefore make it more reputationally and actually robust when um, extreme arguments mm. are pressed against it. Yeah, I, 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 and that, that was, and you've made the point subsequently in your in your article, and we discussed this last week. I just don't want horse racing to bind itself to a a, a, a political mask that it can't get, it, it can't untie itself from. Do you know what I mean? So I'd, I you, you 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 align horse racing with a with a bunch of causes that are you know extreme or minority causes, then you're it's it's completely it's completely um, uh, self destructive. I yeah, think, and I and I was quite quite heartened to hear Sarah's fairly moderate language there. Um, she was um, far from moderate in her enthusiasms for what's going to happen at the weekend, and and quite right too. Because whilst I love Saturday and I'm looking forward to it, Friday's going to be an absolute cracker if you love your flat racing. Yeah, it looks really good. I am going to be covering it for Racing TV and looking down the entries as they stand. It looks like an absolute corker. It's a day I really love. Um, this day at Sandown. It's a high class day, yet that feels at the same time quite intimate. So I really like, like the day. The Gordon Richards looks great. You know, if Adiar does turn up against Baybridge, that's going to be fantastic. And there are other horses in there as well, you know, Anne Mark, for example, that make it very interesting. In the Bet365 mile, I mean, I'm hoping that my Prospero runs there. I think ultimately he's going to want more than a mile this year. But he's a horse that I very much like and I'm I'm looking forward to what he can do um, this season. And the classic trial as well is going to be really interesting. Various horses up against each other. Circle of Fire potentially for Sir Michael Stout would be one. Uh, but also Flying Honours for the inevitable Charlie Appleby, given that they've got such strength in these, these divisions and tend to have, you know, he's going to be very interesting as well. And Relentless Voyager for Andrew Balding would be another one. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Friday. And the Saturday looks fabulous too. I mean, it does with with John Bond turning out in the celebration chase, which is exciting. Nicky Henderson now thinking he's a a bang up two miler, and of course that's where he won the Henry VIII earlier on in the season. Lydia, there's a classic trial this afternoon at Epsom. Let let us not forget the Blue Ribboned Trial. Yes, uh, and on all known form, this should be 
Epictetus's to win quite comfortably. He has been second to Silver Knot in the Autumn Stakes, beaten narrowly, and he was quite comfortably dispatched, but still ran an extremely good race in the uh, Doncaster Group 1, formerly uh, sponsored by Vertem Futurity, by Auguste Rodin by a, a three and a half lengths. So, um, you know, on all known form, he is a very justifiable uh, 100 to 30 on favourite. However, mm. the Goston Yard doesn't seem to have quite woken up so far this season. Will that potentially bring horses closer together? Yeah, all started quite well at the Craven meeting with Covey, didn't it? Looked really mm. good. And then since then, it's not looked great at all with sort of some uncharacteristic 7th of 9, 10th of 15, 13th of 15, 7th of 10, 9th of 10, 9th of 16, 15th of 16, 16th of 16. So maybe just a little bit further back than one or two other yards. If Epictetus doesn't win, there will be some long faces, I shouldn't wonder, because he's an exciting horse. There, there, there will be. I mean, and it, but it might ne- not necessarily, you know, be the end of end of things, because uh, as you pointed out, there might be um, some reasons why things haven't quite hit gear. Um, you're looking down the, the, the car to see who might be dangerous. Stormbuster as a consistent horse who who threatened um, to be quite progressive, probably got bogged down in the ground on his final start behind at Doncaster in the same race um, on his final start. Um, and Hadriana's now on known form. He's going to have to take quite the leap. But you can see a scenario whereby he is, you know, he goes goes to the front and potentially stays there for, for Charlie Johnston. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes. It's his first run on turf. The family is pretty decent. You know, it's a platinum warrior. Um, it hits a very high, high mark. So we're talking about a good family. So it'd be interesting to see what he does as a three-year-old. He's likely to improve in his three-year-old year compared to his juvenile stuff. Well, if you were with us on yesterday's podcast, you will have heard a mention, brief, yes, but a mention nonetheless, of the Jessica Harrington winners at the back end of the show with Jane Mag. And one of those was Village Voice, who runs in the famous Royal Blue Cooper Silks, and who was purchased by Patrick Cooper for 38,000 guineas at last year's Tattersall's Guineas breeze-up sale. A snip, you might think. Now this horse is a listed winner in the Salsabil Stakes and probably worth a king's ransom. Patrick is with me now. Nice bit of business, Patrick, I'd say. Yeah, no, it was very nice. She was a nice fairy of the breeze up. Um, I actually wasn't there. It was a team effort. I was sitting at home and Michael Donoghue and Richard Fitzsimons were over there. And uh, we got lucky. Well, three heads better than one. What did you all like? Well, we just basically worked off a list. I gave Michael 10 or 12 horses going over there and uh, we came down to her and she was a nice big scopey filly who did a very nice breeze without being overextended. Very unfurnished and, you know, fully with a lot of scope. So is this one of those classic cases of sort of seeing beyond the obvious? Oh, very much so. I mean, she was brought very much with a three-year-old career in mind. Um, You know, we were prepared not to run her at all last year, but she came to hand and and we got a couple of runs into her at the end of the year, which was fantastic. And when you you looked at the page, what did you like about the pedigree when you were whittling? What, what, What really caught your eye? Tarak, uh, nothing else. Really? really? I mean, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, he was just starting his climb. Um, you know, I think he was standing at twenty-five last year, and he's up to sixty now. And he come up from five, so he was, you know, obviously on the radar once he his stud fee had gone from five to twenty-five, and he was 
throwing in a lot of winners in, in um, getting a lot of winners in France. So uh, he was an obvious one for people with a limited budget. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because quite often we talk about kind of the restrictive scope of just relying on, on stallion power. But are, are there times in your in your life where you just have to go, right, I'm, I'm just zoning in on this sire and I'm going to zone in hard until until the bubble bursts? Well, I mean, normally until they get too expensive. Yeah. Um, but but um, no, really, the breeze ups, you know, the breeze up boys are very, very good at what they do. And they're very good at buying. But obviously, they're also buying on a budget. So they will buy sire power and confirmation and or confirmation. And, you know, if they have to leave something behind, it will be the dam. It will be the female line. Um, but this is a reason, very respectable female line who's produced good winners down through the years and you go back to Seattle Slew. So it's not, it's not, but it just wouldn't be very fashionable. Well, you've just made it a whole load more respectable and, 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 and maybe maybe a bit more fashionable. Are you going to keep her? That's the question. Oh, uh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. We're going to go for the rules now. Okay. We all, we all feel like it's time for a day out. We're going to go on the same route that Magical Lagoon that Jesse went with the Magical Lagoon last year. Excellent. You know, <clears throat> the idea, if she's good enough, is um, is the Rubble Style and then off the Arshakes. Perfect. Um, Patrick, it sounds like a plan. Thanks so much for talking to me. Not at all. Thanks, Nick. All right. Okay, continuing our build-up to Saturday the 6th of May's Kentucky Derby, the run for the roses in association with Qatar Racing. Every day, uh, focusing in on one or more of the of the. Con- tenders for this year's run for the roses and this time we're going to talk uh, the japanese runners uh, derma sotogake and continua it looks as though mandarin hero will remain on the reserve list for the time being now hero goda our friend from the green channel joins us now and they hero every year japan just inching closer and closer to some sort of respectability in the kentucky derby this surely particularly given derma sotogake's position in the betting as fourth favorite must be your best chance yet. Yes, I think so, Nick. You know, his performance in Dubai, you know, UAE Derby was really, really impressive. You know, he won by five and a half length and his winning time was very, very quick. Yes, I think, you know, now we, Japan, have a, um, you know, you know, the big, big chance to win the Kentucky Derby this year. The UAE Derby has not been a particularly happy hunting ground for horses then then going on to Kentucky. What is different about this horse? What is different about him to some of the other Japanese horses who've done well in it in the past? Well, you know, I understand the track, you know, the, the dirt track may down is uh, quite similar to the Churchill Downs. So I believe, you know, Delma Sotogake can handle uh, the track at the Churchill Downs well. And, you know, um, once again, I'm, I'm you know, very much impressed with his performance and with his, you know, winning time. You know, if he runs extra 100 meters for seven seconds. You know, his, 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 his time is faster than the Ushibate Sora he recorded in the Dubai World Cup. Well, this is a very, very encouraging factor, I believe, Nick. Yeah, now, Continua is an interesting runner. He he was way behind Derma Sotogake in Maidan, 10 lengths behind him, but he was only a nose behind him last year. Uh, is there any reason to think that he can get any closer? Well, you know, yeah, Nick, as you told me, it was a race called Mochinok Show. It was the last autumn. Yes, you know, the continual was beaten only by nose, you know, uh, by Delma Sotogake. Um, Yoshite Yehagi, uh, 
very famous international trader, he's you know, quite confident on continual and uh, 10 furlong is a much better than 9.5 furlong for continual, which Yahagi has been insisting. Now, the irony of it is that because of the points that Derma, Sotogake and Continua picked up in the United Arab Emirates, they may well deprive a horse who might even have a better chance of getting a run in the race. Mandarin Hero ran a practical move to a, a nose in the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, he's going to wait for the Preakness stakes, we think, if he can't get into the Derby. Might he end up being the best of the lot, do you think? Yes, yes, I agree with you. You know, oh, unfortunately, at the moment, it is very unlikely that uh, Mandarin Hilo is getting the field of the Kentucky Derby, and it looks like he must wait for Preakness sticks. But, but just in case, you know, if some horses are withdrawn and Mandarin Hilo gets in the field of the Derby, well, you know, I remember Rich Strike who get in the field at the last minutes, eleventh hour. You know, the Mandarin Hilo should be should have a best chance among three Japanese-trained horses in the field of Kentucky Derby. Yeah, you can bet your bottom dollar, or you can bet your bottom yen, or whatever, that, that he's not going to be the same price as, price as Rich Strike was last year. <laughs> well, you know, well, Mandarin Hero, you know, they finished second in the Santander Derby. You know, this is, this is a very, very good performance. Yes, yeah. I, I think you know, if the Mandarin Heroes prices are maybe 15 to 1 or 20 to 1, I think it's fair price. Nahira, as always, really enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Now, potentially significant and almost certainly groundbreaking news coming to us from New Zealand. And if, as I am, you are a keen reader, and if you're not, I would recommend it, of the Asian Racing Report, I would alert you to an article that was written yesterday entitled How New Zealand Racing Sold the Farm to Entain, a prospective 25-year multi-billion dollar deal for Entain to take over the country's wagering license could be a game-changer for New Zealand racing. I'm very pleased to be joined by Michael Guerin, who regularly brings us updates from New Zealand. He's a, a racing and sports journalist and broadcast the editor of the New Zealand Herald and their racing department and host of the TV show Way in, Michael. Good to talk to you. Just explain at the moment the framework of wagering in in New Zealand on horse racing and, and how that's likely to change. Yeah, hi Nick, and hi to your listeners. It's vastly different from from the multi levels you have uh, in the UK. For example, we have one nationally recognised betting operator. So what's called the TAB, the Totaliser Agency Board, is the only betting operator based in New Zealand. If you live in New Zealand, you can still bet with 365 or sports bet, or you can bet with Labrox. You can bet with pretty much anybody because it's in relatively unregulated space. But you can't base that business in New Zealand. That business of the TAB is predominantly run for the racing people and codes only. So, for example, if it makes $200 million a year, the TAB, the statutory body, takes a bit of that profit to keep running, but all the money goes back to the three animal codes, thoroughbred racing, harness racing, which is the trotters, and greyhound racing. So an enormous amount of the money generated goes straight back to the actual racing industries. Therefore, the TAB doesn't have any shareholders, so their basic role is to be 
a clearing company for the money. But that costs a lot of money in a country the size of New Zealand to compete with Bet365 and to compete with Labrox and compete with, compete with Sportsbet with all the technology and all the new gambling that's going on here. So Entain has won a three-company bidding war to be the preferred bidder to take over the New Zealand TAB, to basically run the day-to-day runnings of the New Zealand TAB, technical, financial, retail, pretty much everything you can think about. So the other players in that market were the Australian TAB and Sportsbet, which are both huge firms. Entain are believed, and this this information has had to be reported to the England Stock Exchange, of course, because they are registered there, believed to be giving $160 million New Zealand dollars for the right to run the licence for 25 years. Plus, they have to guarantee for the first five years returns to the industry, which goes straight to the horse racing codes, uh, of $200 million. Now, that number could enormously be boosted, Nick, if next year the New Zealand government votes that anybody living in New Zealand can only bet with the new Entain betting agency. They will close the borders, what's called geo-blocking, which happens in lots of other countries. Mm. For example, in America, Hong Kong and Australia, you can't bet with overseas bookmakers. That would result in another $100 million sweetener. So most importantly, this English-based company, predominantly working out of its Australian arm, will be running gambling in New Zealand that will have enormous returns for the racing codes in New Zealand, but also... It positions Entain very nicely in the Australian marketplace. Next year, the Victorian racing licence, Victoria being where Melbourne is and hence Flemington and the Melbourne Cup, comes up for negotiation. Again, there'll be three or four big players. If Entain can show the Victorian racing authorities and all the people over there that they can take over a country like New Zealand run it fairly, run it well, and with innovation and profit, that will increase their chances of getting the Victorian racing licence next year, and that will create a mega, mega ground shake in the Australian gambling scene. So Entain look likely, once the Minister signs this deal, to win the New Zealand racing licence, and then, Nick, they'll be going after something far bigger in the home of the Melbourne Cup. And I can hear a lot of my listeners in the UK thinking to themselves, hang on a minute, if your government are going to geo-block, so effectively maintain point of consumption in New Zealand and not allow that leakage offshore, what on earth are you doing devolving what would then be a monopoly product to an outside interest and one that's not even based in New Zealand? Well, the statutory body, which is the TAB, still has to exist. So... Entain would be working for the TAB, the shell company of the TAB, who would still be responsible for making sure that all the appropriate legal boxes are ticked. That can come down to something very important to all of us, restrictions on betting accounts. The Minister for Racing in New Zealand, believe it or not, the Cabinet Minister for Horse Racing used to be a TAB bookmaker, just a normal bookmaker, and he's risen through the ranks to be the Minister for Racing. Now, he is very adamant 
that there'll be restrictions levels have to be kept at a certain level. You will not be able to say to punters, you can't bet with us. That means lab blogs can't restrict people to a few pounds or a few dollars. They'll have to give them a fair go, much in line with the Australian minimum bet laws. So with the TAB overseeing that and with the minister overseeing the TAB, the bookmakers don't get carte blanche. Some would say, then why would they bother? Well, of course, they're getting to clip a few cents off every ticket written on New Zealand racing and New Zealand sport for the next 25 years. As you can imagine, that and the opportunity to show themselves up well before the Victorian uh, licence is decided, this is a very inviting prospect for entertainers. as they look for market share in the Australasian market. Michael, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Nick. That was Michael Guerin. I'm very grateful to him because I must confess my knowledge of the the betting arena in New Zealand was almost nil, certainly negligible prior to that. Uh, sounds quite interesting, though, Lydia. It does. I mean, and, and like you, I feel I feel the same way. So I have more questions than than anything else. I can see in in theory that in the the short term, this could be very much to the benefit of increased prize money for the participants in New Zealand, meaning maybe that they don't feel quite under so much pressure to sell um, their better horses so soon. So it might be, certainly in the short term, a good thing. Clearly, it means that you can't put the genie back in the bottles so if you're going to introduce an element of, of you know, private companies into, into this um, you know, you, you, that this is a, a, a decision that you cross the Rubicon, essentially. Uh, I think what, what was said there was that there's a guaranteed return to the sports of racing, harness racing and greyhound racing for five years. My question would be what happens next? And my observation would be that in the long term, when private companies get involved, it's always inevitably very good for their shareholders. And it can be less good for everyone else, i.e. the sport punters in the long term, especially when um, after everyone's got comfortable and got used to the idea and it seems to be running well, people forget why particular parameters might have been put in place when the deal was initially done. And I suppose if the quid pro quo is is the geo-blocking, then that means that all the money that's escaping the country is no longer going to escape the country. Hmm, hmm. Um, and I'm guessing they're thinking that that reward is worth the risk of a private company assuming control of a tab in, in New Zealand. Thank you to Michael Guerin for his thoughts there. Do you have a tip for me for this afternoon? I do. Um, and I am sticking uh, with Punchestan, where I shall be uh, this afternoon stroke evening. And I'm going in the first race with Walk with Paul in the Mayor's Novice Hurdle. I think her form is a little bit under the radar against some of the others that are, are more well-known, the likes of Night and Day. She could be anything Nikini in the Model Kingdom. Um, but I think that Walk With Paul's form is very comparable, if not better, than some of those that I have listed. And she's available at around about nine to one. So that's my tip for the uh, 340 at Punchestown, the first race, the Haddon Insurance Brokers, Mayor's Novice Hurdle, Walk With Paul. Paul began the programme. Paul finishes the programme. What will Paul do if Brave Man's Game wins tomorrow? The mind boggles. That, 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 could be, that could be a sight. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Lydia, thanks so much. Enjoy Punchestown. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of the week, everybody. We will be back tomorrow. That was Tuesday, April the 25th.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. <laughs>